0: Our purpose and our mission in life is to deny and deprive. And we have the tools and the people here, the Criminal Assets Bureau, to do that. It's effectively made criminals realise that it's not safe to hold or enjoy their assets
1: in this country anymore. We had an opportunity to do something really significant to tackle this disease that was running through our society. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It's one of the great success stories in Ireland's fight against crime and now a new documentary will bring viewers behind the scenes at the Criminal Assets Bureau. From the birth of the Bureau in 1996 and its first cases to its modern-day targets including insta-gangsters who show off their bling The Virgin Media series to start on Wednesday, March 23rd will follow the growth of the CAB over 26 years and hone in on some of its more colorful cases. Today, I'm talking with the CAB Bureau Chief Michael Gubbins about what it's like to be at the helm of such a celebrated agency. He tells me how despite the passage of time, the Bureau hasn't changed much in its work, still pursuing drug dealers and their ill-gotten gains. We hear from some contributors to the new documentary and discuss the future of the Bureau's work, Chasing the Dirty Money. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. You're the seventh chief in these offices here, and uh, does it mean a lot to you to be in this position?
0: It does. Um, I joined the Guards in 1989 Mm. and I've been in Harker Square since 1995. So it's just a year before the Criminal Assets Bureau was established. And it is something I would have seen across the yard from my time in the Fraud Bureau and Cybercrime. And I actually never thought I would be sitting in this desk. And it's actually quite a privilege to be the Chief Bureau Officer of the Criminal Assets Bureau. It's a unique position. It's a unique role. And it's, I think it's a, it's a great reflection on the people at the, of the time who came up with the idea and supported the Criminal Assets Bureau. When you think about it, the Criminal Assets Bureau consists of members from Gardaí Kana, Revenue, Customs and Taxes, Social Protection, and we've got people from Justice, Bureau Legal Officer, all that intelligence, all that information, and for the first time the state is united in its mission to go after these criminals. As I say, our cr- our purpose and our mission in life is to deny and deprive, and we have the tools and the people here in the Criminal Assets Bureau to do that. So to be the seventh chief, to be the chief here at any stage, it is a privilege.
1: Mm. And we talk in the documentary about its setup, and obviously there was the terrible murder of Garda Jerry McCabe, followed by the murder of the journalist Veronica Guerin, and it was the national outrage of those two events that feeling that crime was out of control and that there were these people who were untouchable. And, you know, you see Rory Quinn and he talks about the speed with which this was set up and the uniqueness of it. But it was, I mean, the thing about it really was that the onus of proof was on the accused.
0: Like, like with the Criminal Assets Bureau, we target the assets of the individual. These are civil matters that are taken before the High Court. So it's based on the balance of probability. And you're right, at the time, they moved very fast to be able to do that. It needed to be done. You've mentioned some incidents there, but don't forget there was others like Martin Cahill and others who basically flaunted their wealth and put the two fingers up to the state, to every other citizen, about how they could commit criminality and live off the proceeds of crime and live well and show it off. And everyone else is struggling to make a living. It, it wasn't fair, and the state did the right thing uh, when they created the Criminal Justice Bureau.
1: Mm. It's hard to imagine now a Dublin where you could have criminals going around the way, say, for example, the late Larry Dunn was chauffeur driven in his car around. He'd bought his, you know, half a million house up in the Dublin mountains and was living so openly like that. It's just so much has changed really since the establishment of it.
0: Well, actually, so much has changed and so little has changed. Um, The the purpose of or the main targets of the Criminal Assets Bureau when it was established in 1996 were those engaged in drug trafficking and with all that that comes with the violence, murder, threat, intimidation, victims, you know, but those people had money, they spent it and they flaunted it. Mm. 25 years later, the majority of our cases are taken against those involved in drug trafficking. They're making a lot of money from it. They spend it, they show it, whether it's in their houses, cars, their lifestyle, Their holders, it's the handbags, it's the shoes, it's the clothes and the the watches. So it's not just the money, but that element hasn't changed of they're making money from criminality and they're not shy in showing to everybody else, look how big a person I am. Mm. We all know they're They're criminals, they're thugs and the violence that they're involved with. But that's what they do. They like to show off their wealth.
1: And I suppose in a way the optics are the same, the taking of that wealth, while it may be for some, a drop in the ocean, a house, the you know, the the value of it. But it's the showing the community that they can't have these things and, and they can be taken off them.
0: Like the criminal secure it's really important for the community. You're right. We we will get the watches, the bags, the cars, the coats, and that's really important The houses. It's important to show the public that. But it has a big message for the local community because there could be somebody in their community through intimidation. They don't want, they're afraid to come forward. Mm. And then the Criminal Assets Bureau comes into town. We work with the local guards. We bring other national units with us. And we are able to deny and deprive those criminals of of those assets. But the most important thing is it's not just in Dublin. It's not a Dublin-centric organisation. Our targets are countrywide. So it's important to target the criminals around the country in urban and rural areas in the west of Ireland, in the south of Ireland, in the north of Ireland, uh, in Donegal and those areas. And it really has a big impact because that's the feedback we get from our, our, our colleagues in the garda Síochána. subsequently, whether it's at the, the JPCs, the Joint Policing Commissions, or, you know, on the day, people will actually, the public will actually drive by, they'll give you a thumbs up, they'll flash the lights. It really does mean a lot to the local community because the community knows who the criminals are are in their neighbourhood. They know what they're up to, you know, what criminality they're involved. They also realise the destruction that they're causing to their community, their families, their lives. So they are very happy to support us in our work. And it's not just the thumbs up, but we often receive what we call good citizen reports. And we encourage that for people to make an anonymous report here to the Criminal Assets Bureau and say, uh, you should really look at Michael Gobbins, he's involved in this criminality, he's got this house this property, he goes and holds us he does this, this and this and we go and investigate that and without the public's help in relation to those matters we're on our own but to see the return from the community like that that's really important to us that it's a proactive approach by the community and we really appreciate that.
1: So explain to us what happens here in Dublin in the headquarters of the Criminal Assets Bureau on Harcourt Street, what Elements of the Bureau are here, and essentially it's the beating heart, but it's kind of maybe where everything comes into.
0: So the Criminal Assets Bureau, it's one bureau. It's based here in Harker Square in Dublin. It consists of 99 people. You've got Bureau officers, Bureau staff. The officers are the guards, the revenue customs, taxes, and social protection. And the staff then is everybody else who come from justice, forensic accountants, forensic analysts, uh, the Bureau legal officer, or IT department and uh, office manager uh, and their team. So that's where we are. So there is no, there's no other subset of CAB. It's one bureau, it's based here. But we need our eyes and ears on the ground around the country. So over the years we've trained what are called divisional asset profilers. The majority of those come from Angara Shikana. So that's a local guard in a local area that is tasked and trained to identify potential targets in their area and uh, so we would hope to maybe target those through operation tara for this year in 2022 to to support that and in, and target and train uh, divisional asset profilers who work in the divisional drugs units we've done it in the past but we just specifically target uh those this year again it's to identify the criminals in 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 their community And we're lucky we're supported by the local superintendents and the chief superintendents in relation to that. We also have asset profilers in the social protection, revenue, customs, and we've on occasion trained, um, asset profilers and other law enforcement agencies as well.
1: And so it may seem obvious, but the profilers are identifying assets that could potentially be seized and that potentially the individual who owns them can't, you know, can't show how they earn the money to legitimately buy them.
0: Like the division asset profiler, they live in the they they work in the local community, so they're aware that a criminal, either a criminal, the criminality that they're involved with, they know that they haven't acquired that house, that extension, that car, gone on those all through legitimate means. So they support our case. They give us um, the initial. Um, case to build on and then they will support us with maybe a criminality and maybe later on if we do an operation, they will be available to support us on the day. We we always try and recognise the work that the Divisional Asset Profilers do because it really is an important work because as I said we're based here in Dublin but the support that we get from the Divisional Asset Profilers is really important to our work.
1: They estimated that
0: 750,000 had been spent on renovations in the house. Um, this was disputed by the organised crime group who admitted that there was 600000 spent on it. So all we were arguing about was 150000 on on renovations. It wouldn't be to everybody's taste, but I suppose in the community it looked like a palace. You know, that's, that's the best thing that could be said about it.
1: In the documentary, I think, and probably for the first time, the public are going to get to go behind the hall door with you guys as you're going into some of these houses. We see one in the Crumlin area which has been decked out and I think which we describe it has been renovated to to the, the value which is actually three times possibly the value of the actual house. Um and then we see another in Killarney under Operation Tarmac that was targeted, which is pretty spectacular.
0: Yeah. So you, you can see there's there the houses that are done up they're done up to a standard that isn't that doesn't fit in with the rest of the street. They stand out and there's an exorbitant amount of money spent and these extensions, tiling, you know, the furnishings, the fittings. But if you look closely, you'll see that some of those then will actually have automatic shutters, you know, for their own security. They've got bulletproof windows. They've got bulletproof doors, you know, with extra secure locks and bolts on them. So you'd have to wonder, you know, it, it isn't, all isn't as it seems. Mm. And, and it's, you know, even with all their money, they're still, they're minding themselves.
1: With yeah, the their world windows, is very doors, small, isn't it? And it's they're huge. sort of... Uh, they're they're lying behind this complete layer of protection it doesn't look as if it's for me and they're pretty bling i mean <laughs> they're kind of uh, they take your eye out some of the might white.
0: be 12 your fashion or <laughs> your taste or my taste yeah but it, these are ex- it's where they spend their money mm. you know and that's why we go after those properties because they haven't earned the money legitimately to purchase that house to do those extensions to put in the expensive bathroom the big televisions the furniture and that so that, you know it's behind somebody's hall door but i think it sends a big message we spoke about earlier in, to the community when we take a house off somebody who's engaged in criminality because mm. it is in this day and age everybody knows how difficult it is to pay a mortgage buy your house and to see a criminal sitting down the road in their house and building extensions and then for the criminal Assets bureau to come and take that off them i think it sends a strong message to the community that the criminal Assets bureau is there and we, we come Early in the morning, we're unannounced, but it has a big impact locally uh, to the local community and the local citizens.
1: And obviously all those cases are followed through. I mean, the searches or the raids are pretty much the start of an investigation. And we look at, you know, the famous case of the John Gilligan Equestrian Centre and his properties, which took so long to go through the courts at such an expense. But, you know, we can look at what that sort of made the the legislation that surrounds the criminal, the the proceeds of crime it made it pretty uh, strong,
0: like th- those actions, those appeals, they, they've tested the proceeds of crime, the legislation under which we've worked, and the legislation has stood up all the time. So here twenty five years later, we have a piece of, we work under a piece of legislation that has been robustly um, i suppose a- appealed, and different applications have been made against it. And what we do stands up and it's really important that, and while we work on the civil balance of proofs, actually the standard that the team work in presenting a file in a case is probably much nearer criminal than the civil matter. There's an awful lot of work goes in by the individuals, by the team rooms here. And again, with their the assistance of uh, their colleagues, whether it's in the guards or wherever else, to build that case. And there's a really strong case put in. The Gilligan case took a long time. There's other cases... You know, there's an investigation, there's a search, a file. Something can maybe be done in a year and a half, two years. It depends. It's very hard to give you a particular average piece of time. There was a case last year, Operation Begana, where there was a garage in Tipperary. Searches done there in parallel with the West Midlands Police. Over 80 cars and vehicles seized. And that case was all done and finished within 12 months mm. from the date of the search. So... Sometimes the things move more slowly.
1: Yeah, and, and I noticed nice a lot of them in the courts in recent times when a lot of them will come to court, they'll seek free legal aid. That will be objected to by the, the Criminal Assets Bureau legal team. And if they don't get it, sometimes you find that case can be settled very quickly. Um, it's like as if the wind is taken out of their sails with the with the legal aid uh, applications when they don't win them.
0: Yeah, so in re- relation to that, I mean, this, it, it is a civil matter. Mm. So it's open at any stage for the respondents to make an offer to the Criminal Assets Bureau in relation to it. And then we'll either accept or fight the case. And it's just interesting just to see, you're right, some people will make an offer and doesn't the settlement agreed sooner rather than later in the process and others they will drag on. Mm. And it might be because they have legal aid. If they're entitled to it, they're entitled to it. Yeah. Um, You know, but sometimes people have their own money and they can still drag on. Uh, But it's important that we're there to understand if somebody makes an offer and it's reasonable, mm. we'll we'll consider. And it.
1: like any civil matter, a settlement is often a case of you know everybody maybe saves a little bit of money in the long run from the, the long projected court cases. That's why they're they're made. They're seen as the sensible option. The, the settlements. Um, I think another thing about modern criminality is that quick spend, and you know, I notice that the the bureau all the time is taking more small items, but are very, are very high value, like handbags, watches, pieces of jewellery. Um, you know, they're probably they're not they're not a physical sort of structure.
0: Right, so so they're not cash, mm. and they're not maybe people's perception of how criminals would hold their wealth or spend their wealth. But if you think about it, you could have a, a watch that's worth five thousand up to fifty, sixty thousand, depending on the brand on it. But it's not just that they bought a watch and they spent their money, but it's also can be used for currency between themselves. You know, if I owe you money, I'll give you a watch. But it's easily transportable as well. Mm. I can cross borders. I can take a flight. Probably not going to bring much attention. I can also have a few of them stored in the attic. So it's my running away money where I can secure it rather than have it in a deposit account or a credit union. So it, it's one way of doing it. And most of these then they like to look after their partners and their families. So yes, there will be splurges and uh, and spending and high value, whether it's handbags, some of which not just hundreds, it's thousands of euro. It's the designer clothing, it's the shoes, it's the footwear. They wish to live a certain lifestyle It goes back to what I said earlier this one thing that hasn't changed in 25 years is the desire that they have to show you know, I'm a big criminal I've got all this money, I'm going to spend it and show people and flaunt it you know, that is their Achilles heel you know, and it's important and that, that's what draws the public's attention, which in turn creates divisional asset reports to us creates the good citizens reports to us so we're more than happy. If they want to show it, we'll take it off them.
1: And did you ever think in your career in the Gardaí Yukona you'd know your Pradas from your Chanel's?
0: I didn't. I'm more, more a and a K-Shoes a K, a K man myself.
1: But um, I noticed that we 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 in the documentary we've seen, in particular as well, there's a watch that you show us. And it's not only of high value, but they've also put... Diamonds around the face of it, to spend more money, or to
0: it's to spend more money and to, in their mind, they're actually adding value. But the reality of it is they aren't, because there there is a quite a, a legitimate market for watches. It can be based on serial number, it, who made it. There's a very specific market mm. for those high value watches, and by embellishing it like that, you're actually, yeah, you're spending money but you're actually adding no value to it. Mm. And again, it shows you, you know, everyone has a different taste, some of that isn't.
1: But a lot of the spend, Mick, isn't very sensible. It's this attitude of live for the day, live for the moment, isn't it? I mean, in a way, you know, not all of them are, are into this sort of investment for the future. A lot of, unfortunately, the younger criminals in particular are just spending what they have in their pocket and going out and earning more.
0: You're dead right. It is... They have money now mm. and they can't hold it in their pocket, so they're spending it, and they're spending on the coats, the shoes, the bags, the cars, it's the holidays. But there's an an urgency or an immediacy to spend that money. Mm. I can't imagine that there's too many of them actually have it hidden away for later on down the road. They're not thinking that that far ahead or maybe they're not considering
1: they live you know what i mean and that is unfortunately the reality of it as well that that could be a
0: consideration Mm -hmm. as well you know that but i think they live in the now and maybe with society now when you look at instagram and they see other people who through legitimate means or whatever have that lifestyle this is this is their road into it and they want to be able to show that they have the latest pair of runners Mm -hmm. jacket coats and it's showing off it's Again, being like a peacock, but again, yeah. it's displaying the proceeds of our crime.
1: Mm-hmm. What about the cryptocurrency?
0: So in relation to cryptocurrency, um, I think the public are aware that we have come across cases where cryptocurrency has been seized by the Criminal Justice Bureau. It has been uh, realised, and actually in some cases, we've been able to refund money to injured parties where cryptocurrency was taken on them. Uh, the officers and the staff of the Criminal Justice Bureau are trained and are aware of when they go and search us to look for signs of cryptocurrency. It's the same with our accountants, it's the same with our uh, bureau of forensic analysts when they're examining the computers and the phones, what they look out for when they're examining that. And again, this year, we're going to give additional training to our divisional asset profilers, uh, not to all of them, just try it out in relation to um, cryptocurrency, to, again, to create awareness for what, what they need to look out for, the questions to ask. And again, Cryptocurrency is out there, but as we said earlier, at the minute, our targets to spend their money on shoes, tags, you know, cars, bags, and that. And we do occasionally come across it. Some people, there was one particular case where somebody was online selling drugs, and we, you know, the currency there is cryptocurrency, and we were able to get some of that. So I've no doubt, as we move forward, we're going to find more and more evidence of people using cryptocurrency. To store and launder uh, the proceeds of crime. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, the people that we deal, deal with are primarily drugs. That's a cash business. Mm-hmm. So whether it's somebody in the corner of the street, in the local pub, that's buying coke or whatever, they're cash purchases. So cash flows up, you know. So it, it takes a, there's still a function there to transfer that into an exchange to get cryptocurrency. But cash, cash is king in that business.
1: What ultimately happens with everything you see is Because I do think that um, sometimes people go, oh, "Where does it go?" Or what you know, or can it go back to the community? There's always a lot of calls for that. Can it go back into communities that are harmed by drugs? But it goes into the exchequer, doesn't it? It's
0: returned to the exchequer. Um, so all the assets, so a quick synopsis of so we do a search, we put our file together, goes to the high court. There's a case, and if we win, then the, all the assets that were seized on the search, the majority, you know, if it's proven, if we've proven uh, that they are the proceeds of crime, they're given to the state. So then our job is to realise that. Houses are auctioned, cars are sold, the watches, the bags, etc., they're all auctioned off, and all the proceeds then are remitted back to to the state.
1: Okay, and I can't get a deal on a handbag now.
0: No, you're going to have to join the queue with my <laughs> wife and everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said just have stopped asking. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure. None of the cars, in case anyone is wondered, are kept by the Bureau. They're forfeited by the state and auctioned off, and the proceeds then are remitted back to the state.
1: And the same in the house, I suppose we can we can follow the sale of a house yes. easier than we can those smaller items, which is why I think people wonder where they go or whatever.
0: Nobody is untouchable. Nobody who orders a crime in a democratic society can be allowed to be untouchable and nobody will be allowed to be untouchable. So the Criminal Assets Bureau was established in 1996, so at a time probably when there was no internet, definitely no social media. 25 years ago, the only way the, the guards, law enforcement, the Criminal justice Bureau, had to tell that story was through the Garda Press Office, we, you know, and the media. Whereas now, I suppose we've more control over our story. We use Facebook, we use Twitter. Cab has a website, cab.ie, nice and handy one for everyone to remember. So when we do a search, they have action. We promote the work that we do, and I think law enforcement has matured and is now. We look forward. You know, we're not shy about telling people about the good news that we have, the work that we did, and then that's picked up by your mainstream media, by the local papers, by the local radio it spreads our story again and it makes it real to that community. Mm. They heard it on the one o'clock news or two o'clock news on their local radio a oh, cab in town they did a search and then the beauty of that then we will see an uptake in good citizens reports to the Bureau to support our work mm. from that community or maybe another community, somebody that was thinking about will I make um, a call to the Criminal justice Bureau and then they're prompted by that So last year on cab 25 in October um, because the Bureau did a lot of, you know, press work and media work, there was an uptake in the calls that came into us and I saw them where people referenced the fact that they heard it on the news or something on the radio and on foot of that then they were encouraged to come forward. Again those good citizen reports are anonymous, you don't have to make a statement, you don't have to go to court. We take that information and we assess it, and so that we're not going to rush off on the back of something that we received anonymously. We're going to vouch for it and make sure that it's correct. So we're working on, working with the information that we've got. We're also protecting the individual in case somebody makes a malicious claim against somebody. So that, that's kind of... So yeah, that's you're really not going to just
1: rush on a piece of information. No. So can people make up an email address, you know, the way you see, they'll just open it just for this purpose, to give you the information, and they never have to be known who they are or that they are the ones
0: who've given it. Absolutely. So somebody can log on somewhere they can use Gmail or any other or they can use some form of, you know, anonymous email service.
1: Some of those Proton Protons and, all. and
0: all of those send in anonymous email and we will never, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: if we need maybe we we can send back a request and he'd never reply. We're not going to look for them or try and identify them. People phone in, people leave DMs on Facebook. Uh, and that and we still receive to this day handwritten letters where somebody says dear cab I think you should look at Nicola she's living a lifestyle beyond her you know her legitimate Mm -hmm. means and some of it could be as short as that and others then could have much more detail in it Mm -hmm. and I mean substantial detail and it comes in the post or it could be a type letter so we, we take it all it's our starting point and maybe it's a piece of a jigsaw that fits in somewhere else for us it builds on something else that we've got. But we'll always review, the, f- review that information uh, and assess it.
1: It sounds exactly like the kind of stuff we get in as well to the Sunday world. We still can get the handwritten letters and then you'll get the more high-tech, you know, encrypted email uh, information. And I'm sure, like ourselves, the more detail in them, the better. And especially when you can't reach back to somebody for, you know, you'd say to them, just put in as much as they possibly know,
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting. Somebody could have a very detailed report, but actually maybe there's nothing in it. Mm. Somebody could give you half a page of handwritten, and it might be difficult to read it, but actually in there is the golden nugget, Yeah, that's what you're looking for, that'll bring you to a target that might actually add in to a search that you did the week before, or maybe other information that you have. So we welcome it all, ask people not to be shy or afraid to send it forward, we'll assess it and it'll be reviewed here by our teams
1: we have a system that you're innocent until you're proven guilty. We were chipping away at that in in this legislation. We were saying, you're still innocent, but we're taking your assets even before you're convicted.
0: I knew I couldn't shoot them, but I was going to go as close to shooting them as I possibly could. So the Criminal Asset Bureau, in, in 25 years, it has worked very well with partnerships, both internally, you know, the guards revenue customs social protection all those work together working with the local guard stations but in that time there's also evolved the community that we work with and it could be the arrow karen and eurojust very important uh, piece of european apparatus as well that helps us with our inquiries and other law enforcement agencies it's not unusual to have a case here where an affidavit has been provided by somebody from an uh, an international law enforcement agency, whether that's American, the National Crime Agency, the PSNI, or wherever else. And I think it's that collaboration is really important. We look forward to, and we encourage, other similar agencies to come to us. So whether it's the Australian Federal Police, our colleagues in Iceland, you know, whether it's the Maltese, Asset Recovery, and there's been loads of them have come to the Bureau, but I'm just, Thinking of a few that I've encountered, I've dealt with uh, in my short time here, and I think that's important: is is that willingness between law enforcement agents, the asset recovery bureaus, to work th- with each other. So to go back to Operation Begana, the crime was committed in the UK. West Midlands Police were dealing with that. They came to us, so they provided the criminality to support our operation, a foot of which we were able to seize those eighty odd vehicles. So it just shows you how simple it is. Um, and to get the case and so the once the asset is here in Ireland, that's important. But the criminality can be anywhere. Mm. So we need we need someone else to support us in that. And I think we're gonna see more and the world is getting smaller all the time. So more and more as criminals live abroad and have assets here. And there have been cases over the years where criminals criminality has been committed abroad. And the asset is here in Ireland, and we've been able to seize it.
1: I mean, the criminals are just getting more and more global, aren't they? They, Yeah. You know, its graduation school is not here anymore. It's wherever, Europe and beyond. It's,
0: you know, they don't have to be here yeah. To, yeah. Do their, to do their work. But they might have assets here.
1: You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. If you like the podcast and love true crime, why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Clips used in this episode of Crime World are taken from the Criminal Assets Bureau documentary to be screened on Wednesday, March 23rd at 9pm on Virgin Media and on Wednesday, 30th of March, both at 9pm.